0: It's time for Cover 2 Broncos, just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your host, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am... So I don't I don't normally get this, like I don't normally get like the clammy hands, kind of like anxious nervousness when I do these anymore, because I've been doing this for a minute. But uh, so this is one of those like meet your heroes type of moment, kind of not to be like TMI Mark. But uh, so I'm talking to Mark Schofield. Uh, I first ran to Mark when I was in Korea uh, reading Inside the Pylon. Uh, At one point I did the Scouting Academy and Dan Hatman talked a lot about Mark and the work that Mark did. And kind of so and then obviously you're now at USA Today. Uh, I've bugged you before. For Big Blue Banter, I've bugged you for Pat's pulpit. So again, it's it's kind of awesome to get to actually chat with you.
1: Oh, Joe, um, that, that's far too kind, man. Um, but but if you're saying that you follow me from the back in the ITP days, man, that's a throwback. That's definitely a throwback. But um, I'm I'm honored to be here. Um, always happy when you reach out, always, always gracious when and thankful when you do, because I I appreciate the work you do. I love the work you do. And I'm just kind of happy to be here myself, man.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean I have your playbook, uh the install stuff for for ITP that you put together. I have that saved just because every once in a while it's fun to go back and look at it just to kind of it's like go All through it. Right, yeah. yeah. That was
1: that was one of my favorite things like we're about to get to that time of year that I love more than anything else, May and June. Cause that's when I try to do like more creative stuff, like you know, that that install playbook yeah. thing. I've toyed with the idea of actually putting together an offensive playbook. I don't know if it'll be this offseason or, or next, but that's something that's kind of on the like May June to do list. Yeah. Um, I know a couple of years ago I did a uh I actually dabbled into the numbers a bit and tried to put together a, a quarterback hit study. I want to revisit that. Um, but you, you aren't here to hear me talk about that though. So no, I know, um, I know you brought me, Joe, you brought me here to tell everybody about Justin Fields.
0: I have, um, and granted, if you make that playbook, I will definitely reach out again to talk to you about it because I would be first in line to get it. Um, but no, uh, yeah, obviously it's that time of year where we're all kind of waiting for the draft to actually happen. Um, I am of the opinion that the best thing I can do is reach out to people smarter than me at this point. Uh, I've watched a lot of tape. I have read about every scouting report I can find, uh, all the, you know, all the news bits, all the stuff, but you've played quarterback, you study quarterback, you understand quarterback on a level that I just, I'm not even going to get close to. And I know it, the Broncos look like they're chasing a quarterback. Um, I know that when you did, uh, for USA today, you did a preview of their, uh, kind of a review of the ASC West. And you had mentioned, first of all, kind of before we get into the actual prospects, you had mentioned that there was an argument to be made for sticking with Drew Lock. And I and I do think that we should start there, um, just because like there is a possibility that it could happen. Um, and so the first question I just kind of want to ask you about that because anyone listening kind of knows I'm pretty down on Drew Lock. Uh, I'm kind of like the resident hater in Broncos country. Um, I'm open to giving him a chance. I just worry about his potential. Is kind of like where I'm at with it. Um, when he came out of the draft, I kind of thought best obvious like absolute best case scenario, I thought Matt Stafford. Um I don't necessarily think he's gonna reach that at this point, just after last year. Granted, I'm, you know, COVID year, that type of stuff. But kinda after you wrote that, like I, I'm curious just to kind of know where you're at with him. Uh and kind of like what you see as like a realistic upside if they do stick with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see, Joe, where you would say when he was coming out that Matthew Stafford might be, okay, this is our best-case scenario. If everything that comes together, he's got arm talent, can throw from any platform, can drop the arm slot. That does sound a lot like Matthew Stafford. It doesn't seem like that's come together or like that's the potential that he's going to hit. A more sort of reasonable expectation would be sort of a – I don't want to say Jameis Winston because then you think 30 interceptions, but like a a quarterback that – is more still high variance Um, somebody that, you know, I like to put quarterbacks sometimes in buckets of guys you win with guys you win because of, I think Locke looks more like the guy that you're going to win with. Um, and that could still be a very good NFL quarterback, but not the guy that you're feel comfortable every year. Like this is our guy pencil win, 17 starts. We're going to be fine at quarterback. Let's worry about everything else. Like a team right now, let's trade it up to the third overall spot in the draft. The San Francisco 49ers, they have a quarterback that you win with and Jimmy Garoppolo. And you can see that sometimes that's the sort of you know, quarterback purgatory is another term that's been used where you've got the guy that's good enough to run your offense and you can win games with, but you're never gonna get over the hump with them, and you're always sort of looking for the next option. Andy Dalton was called the, the definitional example of quarterback purgatory. And there's a fear that even if you get Drew Locke to improve, to take steps forward, that might be the ceiling. And so, as we'll talk about, when you have an opportunity to pick eighth in the or ninth in the draft, and a chance that one of these guys, even if you have to slide up and one of them falls, it's something worth exploring. Now, with respect to Locke specifically, I think that the arm talent is still there. There are moments that are still there you know, the Carolina game, for example, where he's actually manipulating safeties. He's moving people with his eyes. There are flashes of anticipation and you think you watch that game. You're like, look, he's starting to put it together, but then you see the game that really sticks out to me is the Las Vegas game where he was just missing stuff. He was missing reads. He was missing concepts. He was missing throws. I know he had multiple interceptions in that game. One of them was late. You're just trying to make something happen. But even before that, he was really sort of struggling. And so, it becomes, what do you need to do to get him to that next level? And you can't really say the playmakers part, right? Because this is a team that has playmakers. Now, Court and Sutton got hurt. Sutton got hurt early in the year, so you did lose that component, and having him back healthy will be obviously a huge benefit to him. But then you start looking at, was it is it playmakers? No. Well, that box is kind of checked. Well, maybe protection. The left tackle took a huge step forward last year. I know there are some questions about right tackle, um, you know, but the – the offensive line seems to be solid. I know there's always the argument that your offensive line is only as good as your weakest link, and maybe that's the situation here. But then it comes back to playbook. Is Pat Schumer doing enough to sort of help Drew Locke from that standpoint? And I do think that half-field reads, more use of motion, lots of more play-action concepts, all the things that we think about to sort of help quarterbacks, those things can certainly be implemented even on a higher frequency than we saw last year. So I do think there's a pathway to getting him to that, quarterback you win with. The question is, is that enough? Will that be enough to get the Denver Broncos where they want to go, particularly in a division with Justin Herbert, the Chargers look like a really good team. You know, the Raiders were pretty close last year, almost got snuck into the playoffs. And yeah, there's that team in Kansas City with that guy wearing number 15. That's a lot of stuff to contend with. And is a quarterback that you win games with going to be enough in that division?
0: And that's really – Kind of at the stem of why I've been so vocally against Locke, I guess, is just, that's the upside to me. That's the absolute ceiling is a guy that you can carry with the rest of your roster. And I just think at nine, like if everything, and I expect him to improve this year. My fear is that even if he improves this year, you're still going to end up in a lower draft slot next year, wishing you had a better quarterback, but now you don't have a path to get one. Right. And, you know, this
1: is year three. Yeah. and. Bill Walsh knew more about quarterback play than I ever will. You know, he he thought more about quarterbacks and more brilliantly about quarterbacks before breakfast than I have in my entire life. But he said, "Quarterbacks by year three, you got to figure it out. That's that's the sort of make or break season, and that's where we're at with him. And that's why you think about." Another quarterback, another organization that's gone through it, the Chicago Bears, Mitchell Trubisky, like it was after the third year, they were like, we're not going to pick up the fifth-year option. We're, we, we've come to the realization that it's not going to come together for him. And if you sort of put that time frame in Denver, he's entering year three, you're picking ninth in the draft. If he improves but slightly and you end up picking 15th, 16th, 19th, 20th, that puts you out of the range of maybe a Spencer Rattler or Malik Willis or Sam Howell or whoever the it quarterbacks are next year. And so, yeah, it's it's one of those situations where Denver's almost in a good place and a bad place mm-hmm. because you're in a spot where you could potentially get a quarterback, but you're also in that spot where you're not ready to close the door on the guy you've got because mm-hmm. maybe you haven't given him that full three-year cycle. But then if you do that and he does not pan out, you might be in a position where you you miss out, you know, or you have to be extremely aggressive and give up the two future firsts to go get a guy next year's draft cycle. And then if that guy doesn't hit, you're really like five years behind the quarterback eight ball at that point. And so it's a good spot because you could potentially go get a guy. It's a bad spot because if you don't and it doesn't work, like you're almost like sort of in a good place, but still stuck between a rock and a hard place, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's what's made this offseason So fun. Uh, just because of the possibility, especially now, like I was, I will admit I was crushed when the Niners traded up to three, just cause I kept kind of hoping that that's what Denver was going to do. Uh, yeah. just because we, I think everybody knew it's probably going to be Lawrence almost like, obviously it's gonna be Lawrence, but it's almost definitely gonna be Wilson at two. Um, I don't know if you saw the Ian Rappaport tweet that he deleted that the Eagles at one point were looking to trade up to three, but then they stopped when they realized at the BYU pro day, Uh, so, so it just looks like those two will probably be out of sight, but that means that depending on what the Niners do, it could be fields, could be Lance, could be Jones. Two of those three could be available after three. Uh, so, and I, I've been on the fields bandwagon for a long time. Uh, it helped me when I saw you were on it, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite as high on Lance just because I think he's a little bit riskier. Uh, and, and a part of it's not his fault. Obviously the fact that he didn't play last year, like, or very much last year but also he's like one of those unparalleled situations. And I think that the fact that Josh Allen hit is kind of helping his stock overall, like just from a perception of if Josh Allen can put it together, Trey Lance can put it together. Um, And then I think Mac Jones is, he's a guy that definitely makes sense. Um, I think he fits the Shermer offense. I'm I'm keen to kind of ask you about it, but I think he fits the Shermer offense. I do think the way he throws with anticipation is it's, it's special. It is really good. Um, the intangibles, obviously, I can't see it. You can see parts of it, but you obviously can't pick their brains like an NFL team would. But I can understand why an NFL team would get on board. Um, I don't think any fan base is necessarily going to be excited by Mac Jones, except like maybe the bottom of the t- like the very bottom of the draft. Um, but Fields is kind of my dream. Um, I would trade to four if that's what it took to get Fields. He's the only one of those three that I feel that way about. Um, I know a lot of the talk on Twitter. Like we've been doing this, the, the, the spelling, the talk, and then also the talk on Twitter for the last three weeks now. Um, I, I don't want to rehash really too much of that just cause I know that you've probably had to do that a lot and I, I I'm sure everybody's kind of heard it. Um, but do you think there's any sort of real like fire to some of the smokers it all? Just bolt like bullshit. I
1: think it's all bull. Um, you know, I, it, it was interesting. I was actually on spring break with a family when, you know, some of the co- recent comments, like, I feel like we've gone through three rounds of commentary with, with Justin Fields. First, it was the, you know, the progressions. He doesn't go through a read. See. And I, I, look myself, Benjamin Solak, Nate Tice, you know, others have sort of beaten that back a little bit. Now, was there a time when it looked like Justin Fields need to get faster? Yeah, but that was last summer, not this summer. Like I had those concerns after the game against Clemson two seasons ago, but then I see what he did last year. I actually did a video on YouTube break it down those two Clemson games and it's night and day, the quarterback he is now between and the quarterback he was then. So I I think that sort of progression standpoint doesn't go through reads, all that stuff. That's kind of been beaten to beaten it back a bit. And the other thing to keep in mind is this, all quarterbacks are going to have to get faster. Like even Mac Jones, who people look at as like the pro ready guy, the guy that's faster, he's going to have to get faster because you're not playing LSU's defense next year you playing New England's. Like right? you're playing better defenses with better athletes on the side of the ball. So even the good ones got to get better at it because what works on Saturdays won't work against NFL teams on Sundays. And so they all have to get faster. What bugs me about the conversation is it's it's sometimes framed as, oh, Justin Fields can't do this. No, no, no. He can do it. Maybe he doesn't do it to the level you're sufficient enough with but i've seen it i've seen enough to be, feel comfortable with them from a mental standpoint so that was the first wave but then there was the second wave the this guy you know last guy in first guy out, doesn't love the game doesn't have passion for it you know and it is that line season it is that smokescreen season i've got people in my dms and texts all the time telling me 15 million different things and i usually just ignore all of it because whatever like i know people lie to me all the time i've had teams tell me no we're, we're definitely not going to draft that quarterback and then they turn around and draft him. like teams lie to me all the time that's why that's why i don't get out there as the sort of like news breaking business because there's no sense to it and so i just i put all that stuff to the side but i will say you know everybody that has reached out to me about Justin Fields, has nothing but rave reviews to say about this kid, thinks incredibly of this kid. But I don't need to see that mm-hmm. because what do I see on film? I see a quarterback running 60 yards downfield, to throw a block at the goal line. I see a quarterback get lit up before halftime against Clemson, come back in right away, throw a touchdown when he's clearly still hurt, and then come back and play well in the second half. What it looked like Trevor Lawrence and company, were going to get back into that game. He says, no, 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 no. I might be in agony right now, but I'm still going to win this game for my team. I see a quarterback when it looked like the Big Ten was going to shut the season down and said, no, 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 we want to play. Let us play. And this was last summer when everybody thought he's 1B, he's second pick overall, like it's put into stone, like he's not going to slip in the draft. He could have said, yeah, you know what? Let's not play. My, my draft stock is fine. No, a kid that a kid that hates the game isn't going to do that. So, yeah, I had people tell me other things, but – I didn't need to people to tell me anything. I know what I can see in Justin Fields. I I know that this is a kid that loves the game. You see the work he does away from the field, the QB collective stuff, all the other stuff that he's done to improve himself and to get better at his craft. Like, I don't need somebody to tell me that Justin Fields loves the game of football. I can see that day in and day out. And so I don't have any questions about him from a love of the game standpoint. But that was round two. Then it seems like the latest round is well, his his mechanics are off. He played baseball and it's a loopy delivery. First of all, mechanics don't matter until they matter, okay? I've, I've said that. I I started saying that with Patrick Mahomes. I still believe it to this day. If you haven't heard me say that or describe that before, what I mean by it is this. I don't care how you get the football there, but if the ball gets where it needs to be, what it needs to be there, I don't care how you do it as long as you do that part of it. If you're throwing it around your back, between your legs, around your head, whatever, as long as it's getting there on time, in rhythm, where it needs to be, I'm fine with it. If it's not, A, and then B, it's because of your mechanics, then we've got a problem. That's what I mean by mechanics don't matter until they matter. When Justin Fields is late on throws or misses throws, it's not because of mechanics. It's because of other reasons. And so I don't have a problem with him from a mechanical standpoint. And we've, in recent years, started to think in this sort of industry and about this game that having a baseball background is helpful because you can change the arm angle. You can change the arm slot. You can throw from any platform. You can fit throws around defenders. It's why guys like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford and all the other quarterbacks with this baseball background are able to do the things they can do because sometimes they look more like second baseman turning double plays than passers in the pocket because you have guys like Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb coming off the edge that force you to adjust and have secondary reaction ability. And so this idea that the baseball background is going to be a hindrance to him playing football that I don't see, but that's like the third wave of it. We go through this cycle all the time with quarterbacks. We usually see it with the guys at the top, the Watsons, the Lawrences. We've even depicted him somewhat. And now with fields it's, it's exhausting at times. Um, I I can't say enough great things about Justin Fields. And I do think again, it's important to reiterate. I wasn't a fan of his last summer. I was talking to people. Um, I remember one night I was playing Call of Duty with Michael Kist and Ben Solak and Owen Reese and 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 Fields' his name came up in the discussion. I was like, guys, I just don't see it yet. And I was getting ridiculed in the chat and both because of that and how bad I am at Call of Duty. Um, But I didn't see it then. I see it now. I I, I get it now. His His season this year checked so many boxes for me that, you know, I'm a Patriots fan. We've talked about my Patriots fandom in the past, Joe. We have. It, it, it feels can somehow get his way to Foxborough. I'm overjoyed, and as I've told listeners on my shows, it's a buy the jersey moment for me. It's an Thanks. immediate buy the jersey moment. I think the word of this kid. I think he's going to be a fantastic pro quarterback. Um, you know, I, I think any team that passes on him is going to regret it.
0: Yeah. And I own one Jersey right now. So to say it for me to say that is, yeah, I would buy a fields Jersey tomorrow. If that's what happens. That's why it's, it's almost like kind of bittersweet. Cause I know we're both kind of pining for the same guy here. Do you think he's going to like, I know right now, no one really knows that he might be available at three. Um, I know the rumor, the thing that it, the thing that I thought was kind of interesting about all the smoke that started to pop up with fields is that it happened right around the trade up. So in, in the, in the timing of it was kind of peculiar. Um, Just because it was like, are the Niners kind of like sending this out in hopes that the Jets don't take him or, and again, I don't know if you know that. I don't know if anybody really knows that, but I do think the timing of it was really weird. I never really believed that Mac Jones was the pick and I probably won't until he is the pick just because it seems kind of weird to trade the whole draft for Mac Jones. I get the appeal just because he's a healthier Jimmy Garoppolo, essentially. Um, Not, not, you know, not a for a but in terms of he steps in you know what he can do he fits the system that kind of stuff um but that brings me to the question of with fields um because you've studied pat Shermer's offense you you basically had to um i actually picked your brain on that and i know talking to you about it talked me off the ledge on some of the stuff that i heard from other people before i actually dove into it is there like a reason to be concerned about justin fields and like a pat Shermer offense um i know they also have mike shula like Broncos fans have kind of been going back and forth with this. That's why I have to ask you. I'm not really concerned about it, but they would trust your expertise in this more than me. Um, Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's accurate, y'all. I mean, come on.
1: But let me, let me frame it this way. Again, you you mentioned Big Blue View. Um, I I do some work covering the Giants. And I will tell you from watching Daniel Jones this past season and then Daniel Jones the year before that, Pat Shewer did a great job scheming that first read open. Like, he did a very good job of scheming that first reopen. And so I think the idea of Justin Fields and a Pat Schumer offense shouldn't cause people concern, heartbreak, agita, however you want to phrase it. And I think if you look at the combination of Schumer and Shula, I think both of them, you know, pure West Coast, pure Air Coryell. like, there's, there's no pure any offense yep. these days. Like, they all steal from each other. You look at Jason Garrett, you look at his playbook, with the New York Giants right now, even though he's known as one of the Correale guys, downfield passer, you've got stick, you've got mesh, you've got slant flat. Like they they all have that in the playbook. Just some guys might sort of lean to what they're comfortable with calling. So, But but Shula, Schumer, they're more downfield passers. I think that's where Fields is at his best. Me too. He's pushing the ball a bit downfield, attack it downfield. And again, you look at the Ohio State playbook. It's just out of reach of my hand right now. You've got all the mesh concepts, quick games, slant, flat, verticals, four forward levels. You've got all that stuff in there. And yes, he's going through progression reads on all of those. And the other thing to remember in that Ohio state offense, and, and Nate Tice has talked about this a ton as of others, there's a lot of option routes built into these designs, not just at the line of scrimmage, but deeper downfield. I mean, and, and so, you know, that puts a lot on the quarterback from a reading the coverage standpoint. And it also asks the quarterback to perhaps wait a step longer, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're running an option route, uh, two yards at the line of scrimmage is going to happen like that, so the ball is going to have to come out quick. But if it's a, either a post or a corner that's getting decided at 10 yards downfield, that's going to happen a little bit longer in play. And so you might take a little longer to see that develop. You might lock on that a little bit more because you're like, okay, Regardless of the coverage, this is the rod I'm throwing to. i just going to make sure he's running the corner or the, or the post and throw the ball on time and in rhythm. And so you might sort of look at that and wait a little bit longer on it. And so I, I think Fields will be fine in almost any offense, but I do think a more downfield offense is better for him. I think it's what he's more comfortable with. It's what he's more experienced with. And I think he has the arm talent for it. And so his fit in this offense I think would be close to ideal.
0: That's where I'm at too. Uh, And one thing before we kind of move to the other two, just because I want to touch on this because people are going to touch on this. You talk about Justin Fields. Everybody talks about Indiana and Northwestern. Yeah. And, and you, and and I actually went back uh, kind of in uh, preparation for this. I actually went back and listened to you talk to Matt Waldman a little bit back before this year. So hearing you talk now, like I, if anybody doubts that Mark wasn't completely sold on fields, you can go back and listen to that. Um, but you're sold, you're sold on him even after Northwestern and in Indiana. And I've, I've watched your breakdowns of that. I watched the game too. Like the big thing I saw is fields is kind of playing hero ball a little bit. And granted, like that happens, like that's not ideal, but I'm not going to damn a guy for it.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, cause you're right, Joe. Anytime you bring up Justin Fields and you start to defend Justin Fields as a prospect, the next two words out of somebody's mouth are Indiana or Northwestern. It just, it just happens. Um, so I did, I did a YouTube breakdown of the Indiana game and I went through the good, the bad and the ugly, and there was some good, there was some bad, there was some ugly, but the three sort of takeaways from the three interceptions are, he trusts his arm immensely. Like the first interception it's dagger seam dig, the digs wide open, but he he throws the seam. Um both are like open but he tries to squeeze in the seam when he should have thrown the dagger and okay like you learn from that and I hope that he can. The other two interceptions were just sort of him playing hero ball in those moments where he avo- avoids multiple sacks in the backfield and then instead of just throwing the ball away or just say, giving up and taking a sack he tries to force a throw later down and you get two interceptions off of that. So the hero ball, the trust in his arm. Sure. Like those are two things that you hope you can sort of fix with him. And I've always been of the mindset that it's easier to coach that stuff out of a guy than it is to say, look, man, you can make that throw. You can take that risk. You can extend this. Like I was a risk averse quarterback when I played, I was afraid of challenging windows. I was afraid of extending plays and things like that. And coaches from the time I was like 10, until my like senior year in college was still trying to get me to do better and be more aggressive. I, it just never clicked for me. And, okay, Division three dude at Wesleyan University, that doesn't count. Look at Alex Smith, okay? Because yep. Alex Smith is also a very conservative-minded quarterback. His best season was when he had Patrick Mahomes waiting over the shoulder, and Andy Reid was like, we got to get this offense ready for Patrick Mahomes. going to push it downfield. He finally got a bit more aggressive, and he had a great year, but it still wasn't what that offense could have been with Patrick Mahomes. So, it's easier to get a guy to be more to get a guy to dial it back than it is to get him to be more aggressive. So I think that will be okay. The other thing to take away from that Indiana game is this: he was still going through progression reads, like all the like conversation about he doesn't go through reads, all that stuff. Even in this game where he's supposedly like, you know, at his worst and he's a quarterback that can't go through reads, you'll see they're sort of. India concept, their they're, they're shallow concept, it's like levels. He's working through three reads. One, two, three, sees the rat defender drop off the line of scrimmage, throws to the third read. All the stuff you're worried about, even in the game where he's supposedly at his worst, he's still doing the stuff that people think he can't. And, and so, again, I wasn't high on fields. I liked Lance more last summer. I had it going into this season, Lawrence, Lance, Fields. But now I've got Fields above the rest, except for Lawrence, because of what I saw this year. So maybe he's pulled the wool over my eyes. I don't believe that I think he's a great prospect.
0: The, the fact that you're bringing up the, the aggressiveness though, is actually a good segue into Lance, because that is something I've heard people talk about with Lance in the playoffs. There's a, there's a kind of a belief that in his playoff run, there are throws where he probably could have tested the, the window. And he didn't, he pulled it down. He ran it like, and I, at the same time, I think it's important for our listeners. And I'm sure everybody listening at this point probably knows he was pretty young. So like, that's also a thing, but like, is that at all a concern for you? Like, is that, is he like, does he have that trepidation? I guess.
1: No, I I think a lot of that Joe was more scheme was more what they were seeing on the other side of the ball, which, you know, I, I think something that's important to keep in mind with Trey Lance beyond the fact that he was just young is what he was asked to do in that offense, what he was asked to do at the line of scrimmage um, because Doug Ferrar, my colleague chatted with him before Trey Lance's pro day, chatted with Randy Hedberg as well as Trey Lance. But Randy Hedberg is the NDSU quarterbacks coach. And he asked about, you know, everything he was asked to do at the line of scrimmage. And he would tell you that, look, you know, he's making kill calls. He's making protection adjustments. He's doing those kinds of things. And he was doing the stuff that we've let Easton stick do. He was doing the stuff that we let Carson Wentz do, but he was doing it early as a redshirt freshman, his first game, his first start against Butler. Everybody might remember the 50 yard touchdown run that he had sort of like I was on another show earlier today. And somebody said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Steve McNair moment, right? That was an audible. He saw a blitz coming and he checked to that quarterback run to get them out of that play. That might have gotten blown up by the blitz and then caps it off with a touchdown run. And so this is a kid that's doing this in his first start. But not only is he doing it in his first start, his coaches thought he could do it. And I think that's important to remember. And I'm pulling up the sort of transcript because he was asked about that, you know, being conservative, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: He was asked the question, quote, Here's the question of Randy Hedberg. You talked a lot about the lack of pregame reps. For us on the outside, that can be tough to see what's put on his play from a standpoint. Is there an example we wouldn't have been able to see that put it into action, maybe something at a big moment, anything that comes to mind? And the answer talks about that championship game where they didn't anticipate that going into that game and running Trey 30 times. Some of those were scrambles, but he was able to check us into protections against the different pressures they brought in. He studies the game so well. He was ready for that. And so a lot of the fact that he was running so much in the playoffs, he was getting them out of pressure looks because teams were thinking, look, we could try to blitz this kid. That's always like a defensive coordinator's idea, right? Your MO, young quarterback, you blitz him, you pressure him, you get him flustered, you speed up that clock artificially, he's going to make a mistake. So he got them out of place. He checked into runs, he scrambled, he did other things because he knew that that's what they were trying to do to him. And this was a way to get us out of those bad situations and into advantageous situations. And so I think that's very important to keep in mind, that context of what he was doing in the playoffs. Were there some throws that you could look back on and say, yeah, he probably should have challenged that window? Yeah. But I don't think this is a timid kid. I don't think this is a kid that has a lack of aggression. I mean, you see him come out in that first start against Butler, firing early in the game. I'm not worried about him from that sort of aggression standpoint. And the other thing to remember is this, as far as arm talent goes, he might be the best in this group. I mean, the four guys at the top, I think are all tremendous from an arm talent standpoint. They're all plus arms, but Lance might be the most natural thrower of the four. The
0: th- the next kind of like big concern, I think with Lance, and I actually have this concern. This is one of the reasons why I wouldn't trade up for him is the accuracy isn't quite what it is with like fields with, and I think Wilson's accuracy is there's a little bit of, I think uh, it's, it's a little overrated just because of the competition, just because of it's good. I'm not saying it's bad, but I do think Wilson is a little bit more accurate than Lance. Uh I think definitely Lawrence Fields. Um d- having studied him, do you feel like with time and coaching, that's something that will come along?
1: I do. And and generally, like big picture wise, accuracy is one of those things that you kind of gotta have, right? Yeah. You know, I, I wrote I,
0: Sorry, I, I just, I grew up with, uh, I first got into football with Football Outsiders. Like, really, that's when I first got, like, really obsessed with it. So, like, I was, like, indoctrinated way too soon that starts and accuracy were, like, the, the golden gooses. And some of that's not true. Like, it's true. But also, like, Josh Allen is kind of hammering me over the head with the fact that, like, you can't, it can't be a yes, no question.
1: Right. I mean, and also, I, I do think it's fair to say that Josh Allen might be a bit of an outlier because yeah. the jump that he's made might not be duplicative. Um, with other quarterbacks um you know and i'm generally of the mind that like i wrote last year when when Tua was playing fairly well before he started to slip obviously herbert burrow before he got hurt i felt like there were like two things that you have to have as a quarterback that you just need as a young quarterback to set a foundation accuracy and mobility and with accuracy it's really not so much like completion percentage but like can you put the football away from the leverage of the nearest defender right and then mobility can you survive can you extend can you break the pocket if you need to and you don't have to be elite at these but you have to have some threshold some baseline of that otherwise you're going to really struggle i think with lance what's interesting is he's often missing on throws that i feel are a byproduct of him trying to do right by his receiver and then just missing as a result and a prime example of that i don't know if it was uc davis or central arkansas but it was a game where seam route throw up the left hash mark up the left seam and he sees the safety rotate it over because it's the middle field closed look free safety in the middle of the field and he knows if i lead this guy or put it like right, kind of right on him he's going to get lit up but this is the throw that i'm going to make so i'm going to try to put it on his back shoulder to give him time to catch and cradle and he misses it he misses it behind the gun it's a wide open throw, and it's one of those routes that it's you know one of those throws that gets marked against him and then you see Everybody that charts the stuff, Ian Wharton had the visual up today of the red areas on the, the quarterback graphs of accuracy stats. That's one that sticks out. But I think it's an example of him trying to find that feel for these routes where you've got to put it to protect in a spot to protect your guy. He's trying to do that. You can see him trying to do that. and just doesn't do it. So I think some of the misses are a byproduct of that. Some of them are just, you know, the arm slot, the mechanics. Like there are times when – Getting back to the mechanics. Don't matter to the matter moment. Some of the misses are due to a release point. That's slightly off. You work at the, you look at the work he's done with Quincy Avery,
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, he's obviously going to have his second pro day here. I don't know if it's tomorrow or the next day, but soon, um, the arm slot's much more consistent. It was much more consistent during his workouts, much more consistent on his pro day. It's a much more sort of repeatable process. And I, I think so the refinements of the mechanics, you know, solidifying that arm slot with some consistency, as well as just getting a feel for some of these routes that he's asked to throw. I think that's going to improve these accuracy numbers. I'm not like worried about him from an accuracy standpoint. It's certainly something to watch. It's certainly something I think he's going to have to work on. You know, he's not a perfect prospect, um, but that is one of his biggest flaws. But I do think it's fixable.
0: If the Broncos drafted him, do you feel like that's a similar scheme fit where it'll work? Because... Mobility, like I, I, I see it. Um, I think he's a better scheme fit for the Niners. Uh, personally, I honestly think he's a really good scheme fit for the Niners. That's why I've, I, I, I kind of think that's who they're going to go with. Honestly,
1: I it, that would. I was on XM um Tuesday of this week, and Guy Haberman, the host, because it was like Pac-12 today or something. He was like, "Yeah, Mark, and you wrote that piece back in March about how Lance would be a great scheme fit for the Niners." I was like, "I did. I I completely forgot I written it." But I I remember writing it now. Um, part of it was, you know, the stuff we got from Randy Hedberg, his quarterbacks coach. But I said last summer, Joe, he could walk into San Francisco right now and run their offense. Like I know a lot of people have said, well, you know, he he's young, he needs time, he might need to sit a year, maybe for some offenses. Right. I don't think San Francisco. I think he could run that right now. And if you care enough to look at the scheme fit potentially in San Francisco. You can go on coachtube.com, and they have you know coaching clinics that are for sale. There's one that's like $29.99. There's another that's $49.99 with the NDSU coaching staff, with their offensive coordinator. And there's one that went up recently talking about how they involve the tight ends and the fullbacks in the passing game, and he's breaking down Trey Lance film. And you can close your eyes. You can listen to him walk you through stuff, and you can just start imagining Kyle Juice in the flat. George Kittle on the sale route. I mean, it's it's a, almost a one-to-one in some sense of scheme fit. And honestly, you listen to this video and you hear his coach say, fullback's open in the flat, take it. And then you see Lance doing just that. It, it, the scheme fit is great. Now, I think both Lance and Fields and, yes, Wilson, yes, Lawrence are scheme diverse. I think Jones yeah, is a more scheme-dependent guy. So I think, you know, wherever you put Lance, he's going to be okay, whether it's eventually or right away. I think Denver is a place where he could be okay. You know, it's it's not gonna worry me, it's not gonna concern me. I think he could mm-hmm. fit. I think it'll be fine. I think you know, San Francisco might be ideal for him. Mm-hmm. San Francisco might be ideal for a lot of quarterbacks because Shanahan is very good at getting that first read open. Uh, I do think it's an offense he could run right away with all the twenty one personnel stuff and throwing to the fullback and all those things we just talked about. But I think in Denver, too, like Lance, that fit wouldn't scare me at all.
0: Cool. Uh kind of the the, the redhead stepchild kind of of the three uh, is yeah. Mac Jones. Uh, and I think Broncos country is in denial about the possibility of it. Uh, I'm not necessarily in denial. I, I definitely, if it, if it's between Locke or Mac Jones, I kind of do hope that they just give uh, Drew Locke another year. Just because I, I would rather do that than kind of do the, the controversy of taking a quarterback, the battle. And then like if Mac Jones isn't immediately successful, we're in another three-year cycle waiting to see. I don't really like that um but i could see them doing that because i do think that mac jones is a really clean scheme fit for Shermer. um i like and again this sounds really bad and i don't mean this to sound bad like i see like essence of like peak season case keenum with mac jones and a pat Shermer offense is like what i could imagine except like it wouldn't be a one-year wonder type of thing like in in the perfect scenario i could see that kind of working um am i crazy like
1: no you, i they, mean if
0: they do it am i am i am, Keep me on, on the ledge. Like, I'm not going to have to jump.
1: Yeah. I mean, I what, what's been so weird about the rise of Mac Jones is that Mac Jones is a good quarterback prospect who does some things well. There are some things that I do like about his game. You know, anticipation, short and intermediate area accuracy, even some accuracy on the deep ball. Although, the arm talent isn't as yeah. what we've talked about with the other four guys. Like, there's there's clearly a difference. The athleticism. Other four guys are much more athletic. There's There's clearly a difference there. But I do think that there are some things that Mac Jones does well. I, I think what happened was there were there were two artificial bumps to his draft stock. There was first the senior bowl. Yeah. That Wednesday senior bowl practice. I wasn't down there, but I was watching the film. You could you could you could almost feel the switch because he had a very good Wednesday. And Wednesday is that critical day of Senior Bowl week. Tuesday is the baseline day. You get a feel for where these guys are, they're throwing in new guys running a new offense. Okay, let's see how they look tomorrow. How well do they take to coaching? Because that's one of the things that Greg Gabriel was tweeted out earlier tonight, like, you know, Twitter draft evaluators of the quarterback position. You know, they struggle with it because you don't get a sense for how these guys can can take to coaching. Senior Bowl is a great barometer for that because you mm-hmm. see if they go out and have a great Wednesday, it's like, yeah, they, they, they can pick it up quickly. And you saw that with Jones. Like he was clearly the best quarterback down there mm-hmm. on Wednesday. And almost overnight – he's a first round pick like it happened like that because going into mobile it was like you yeah, probably a day two guy like not as athletic not a super mole you know at you know doesn't have the arm talent that some of these other guys have so it's probably a nice day two guy you know nice floor to him but then he's a first round pick and then with the 49ers trade it was he's the guy at three because everybody made the same connections that everybody else has made which is Mac Jones looks like Kirk Cousins, looks like Jimmy Garoppolo, like can run that kind of offense. And look, if they're going to go get a quarterback, like it just makes a lot of sense. Um, but I do think those are a bit of like sugar highs with respect to his draft stock. I do think in, in a vacuum, he is a second-round quarterback, like yeah. in a vacuum. But because of need at the position, he's going to get bumped into the first round. I think the sweet spot for him in this draft is like fifteen just so happens the New England Patriots are picking up 15. So I may be buying a Mac Jones jersey and not a, Trey, a Justin Fields jersey or a Trey Lance jersey. And I, I think if he slides to 15 or to 12 or something like that, like that, that's a reasonable spot for him in the draft. If Denver decides, look, we like Mac Jones, we think he can run our offense, we think we can scheme stuff around him, we have weapons, it wouldn't be the worst-case scenario. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a good quarterback prospect. But the thing with Mac Jones, and Jordan Reed stressed this to me when we did a show together, uh, three Ps, right? Playbook, playmakers, protection. Like That's the stuff that you need to have in place, generally speaking for quarterbacks, right? You need the right scheme fit, playbook. Uh, Playmakers, you need talent around them. And then you need the offensive line, the protection standpoint. Jones is going to need that more than the other four. The other four can like, transcend some of that transcend schemes even transcend the talent around him jones is going to be a bit more dependent on those three p's does denver have the three p's in place they might you know you look at the offensive weapons they've got you look at the schumer offense again is he a fit for a downfield Pat Schumer Chuck at D play action stuff? Maybe not. He could do some of that stuff. I think you're going to see more of the the quick read, get that first read open kind of stuff that he was doing in New York with Daniel Jones, which he showed he can do. So you might have that box checked. And the offensive line, like you've got the pieces there. Maybe you want to make sure you have got the right right tackle, but that's kind of there too. So it could work. The the what might be the problem more than anything else, though does Mac Jones sort of give you the confidence of like, yeah, you can start this guy day one, and he's an immediate improvement over Drew
0: Locke?
1: That's probably the bigger question, because I think you can make the case that the other four guys, yeah, their improvement's over Drew Locke. Maybe Lance would need more time, um, but I think the ceiling, given what we've seen from Drew Locke to this point, you could probably make a better case that, yeah, Lance, if he hits or comes close to his ceiling, is going to be an improvement. It might not be the case that you can make that one-to-one argument with Jones versus Locke. And so maybe then if that's the scenario, if it's QB5 or bust, maybe you go in a different direction or not.
0: And that's kind of why I think the Broncos won't do it just because up till now, they're off season. And I think James Palmer from NFL Network reported this. Uh, and he mentioned that the the Broncos weren't desperate to get a quarterback because they already have a quarterback. They're not necessarily trying to just get a guy. If they're going to get a guy, they're trying to get a guy that they see as a real improvement over Drew Locke. Um, and that's that's one of the reasons that, and and I know this is cliche at this point, like we've, we've reached this point, but the thing with Jones and the the mobility, and, and I know if you've mentioned this before, so I know this isn't just bullshit. The, the fact that he doesn't necessarily have the wheels to give him a little bit extra room for error as a rookie. Um, and everybody talks about how like, oh, Tom Brady doesn't need wheels or Drew Brees didn't need wheels. But at the same time, these guys were experts of their offense. Like they, they were able to make up for the fact that they didn't yeah. have the mold, the mobility to be weapons. And Mac Jones may vent eventually have that, but as a rookie, I don't necessarily know for a fact he is and granted yeah. he could, but we don't know that. And that's a, that's a, yeah. that seems like a big risk to me.
1: It is a big risk. And. You know, I, I've said before that like Jones does have a good understanding of protections and yeah. where his weak spots are in protections, and he knows and he can get ahead of it. You know, there's a great example of it against Notre Dame, where his two linebackers are blitzing, Harris can only block one of them, so he knows I'm going to get hit if I stay here. So he immediately starts to spin away from pressure once he gets the snap, and that's great, and that that's a sign that like he understands this stuff, he knows protections, like he's going to have a step up in that realm. But the problem is. Anytime you start saying the path for a guy to be a good NFL quarterback, the model that he's going to have to follow is Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Like that's a tough thing to do. And I do think that as we think about sort of the quarterback position generally and the things that help young quarterbacks and ease their transition, you know, one of which I I believed long ago, the other I'm starting to come around on because I was a bit, you know, I had a different mindset of it athleticism and arm strength, you know, because the athleticism, the mobility to like create, to extend. If you don't like what you're seeing and the pocket, starts to break down, you can buy time with your legs, give yourself more time to make a decision. That's a huge thing for a young quarterback. It's going to help you and acclimate and make better reads, throws and decisions. And the other thing is the arm strength. I used to think that, look, arm strength is overrated. Like, can you throw the ball like on time and rhythm? Can you get there? great if you if you don't have a great arm can you win with your mind sure you'll do it with anticipation but then you see guys like josh allen where again not to use the josh allen example too much because he might be a unicorn but you watch him as a rookie he's trying to throw a speed out to his left against green bay at lambeau field and he gives it an extra half second because he knows i can still get it there right and that arm strength will give you that extra half second bryce rossler at sports info solutions they've got you can basically chart this stuff out now where you know trevor lawrence Mac jones throwing a dig route at the same time in the pocket to 15 yards over the middle if they release it at the same time lawrence's ball will get there a yard and a half before jones's does that's a lot of distance when you're talking about the nfl game today and that you know that extra half second is one more half second of, is this cover two or cover three? Is this stubby or stump? Is this zero or whatever? It gives your quarterback that much more time to make an informed decision. And every half second counts. You know, I've said about quarterback play, it's a timed examination and the clock is ticking. It's not a take-home exam. You can't take it home and learn the class overnight when it's final exam time. Like, let's go. You got to go. You got to go. You got to go. Jones is going to struggle at times you know, if he's asked to challenge title windows because he doesn't have the arm strength, these other guys do. And but yes, as Drew Locke does. And so that's also something to keep in mind. But I do think arm strength, that athleticism, they're helpful crutches for young quarterbacks as they learn life in the NFL.
0: And one of the things you mentioned, uh, I was actually listening to the the PFF college football podcast with uh, Seth Galina and Deontay and you were on it and you were talking about the the fact that quarterback in a lot of ways most positions not all but most positions are kind of like before the before the snap to the whistle and quarterback is in almost like entirely it's from like tuesday meetings up until the whistle and i feel like with mac jones like i feel really comfortable just based on like what i've heard what i've seen you know all that stuff i feel like tuesday tuesday until before the snap i feel pretty comfortable It's after after the snap that I'm starting to get like, I'm pretty nervous about that part. Yeah. I mean, there's,
1: there's the, the anecdote of when Bill O'Brien went to Alabama to learn their offense, they put him in a room with Mac Jones yeah, to teach him the offense. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about Mac Jones from a playbook, knowing the offense standpoint. Like if you can teach it, you can do it. And Mac Jones is an example of that. The concerns about Jones are like you said, sort of Joe, like the snap and after. Um, the stuff that we do see on the field. Um, I I think there are moments where he can do everything you need him to do, but can he transcend that? And I I think that's sort of the difference between Jones and the other four guys, the other four guys, I think are the transcendent type of guys that will raise the level of play. You know, even if there are guys that like, you don't like in that group, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Lance, whether it's fields, I think you can agree the sort of ceiling argument. Is what you make with those guys with jones it's the floor argument and you know i i think does denver think they have enough around him where they can draft the floor qb or do they think they're in a spot where they can still take a swing on the ceiling qb maybe that's the decision that peyton has to make mm-hmm.
0: you're about as big a brett ripon fan as there is in existence i actually this hear you true? you mentioned this on podcasts with other people that's how much i know that you love brett ripon because no one talks about ripping yep. um i like brett ripon uh, I kind of hope that he sticks around Denver, whether they draft a guy, whether or not. Um, I don't necessarily, after watching the jets game, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a guy you want starting games, but he's a guy that can get you out of games.
1: Yeah. I mean, it looked there is there was a moment where I was levitated in that jets game, that seam route touchdown. I was like, man, I am going to be insufferable on the bird for the rest of my life because Brett Rippon is a star and I called it. And then he threw some disastrous interceptions, yeah. but he threw them back into that game and got them that win. Um, and didn't answer my DMS afterwards though, Brett, Come on, buddy. You're leaving me, leave me hanging. But, uh, no, I loved Brett Rippon. Um, I I think he was a, he was my QB four in that class. Um, maybe that says more about, you know, that quarterback class than anything else. Um, but I do think that he's look, teams need a solid backup spot starter type. Like it's a prerequisite. You've got to have that kind of player in the room and whether they draft somebody, whether they don't, I think he could be that guy for the Denver Broncos going forward. And that is something important to have, um, ask some teams that have had their starter go down what it's like if you don't have a plan B and I'll tell you, it's not too much fun.
0: Yeah, definitely. And well, and one of the things is too, with, with, and again, before we kind of pivot, the fact that you already have drew lock and you have Brett Ripon. um, granted, I don't think they're going to hold on to Jeff Driscoll just because it's kind of like writing on the wall. Um, But because you already have those two, in my mind, if if the Broncos are not going for like big game hunting in terms of getting a quarterback, I hope they kind of stick out of this quarterback class and just grab a veteran, uh, just because I'm not super like, I'm not very intrigued by most of the quarterbacks in this class. I think Kellen Mond has some moments. I think Kyle Trask has a a couple moments kind of circled around a lot of disaster. Um, but I just, I, I, I don't normally like the idea of spending a second day pick on a quarterback anyway, just because you're chasing outliers. Like, everyone will hold up Dak Prescott, everyone will hold up Tom Brady, but it's like, how many guys did you draft before Tom Brady happened? Right, and
1: I'm usually the guy that says every year, like, draft a quarterback or draft a quarterback every other year. I'm usually the guy that's betting the table for the Brett Rippins of the world, the guy that didn't go drafted but I thought was QB4. This isn't that year. I mean, this isn't the year where I'm, like, going on shows and saying, yeah, 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 look, Matt Jones, yeah, he's nice. Justin Fields, yeah. Let me tell you about Davis Mills. Okay. This David Mills kid. Like, are there things I like about Davis Mills? Sure. Do I like his competitive toughness? Absolutely. I think you watch that UCLA game. You see a quarterback get kicked in the teeth, throw some bad picks, look like it was. I thought he was gonna fold in that game, but he said he comes back and he throws two touchdowns and they win and a comeback. And I'm like, look, that checks that competitive toughness box for me. Um, but am I going to draft him at 15 at 32? No. I don't know if I do it at 46, maybe at 96 if I'm New England. Um, This isn't that year to sort of look at the depth of the class and say, yeah, you can, if you miss out on one of the top five guys, you'll be able to find somebody a bit later. I think in this draft cycle, it's like top five or bust. Um, If you have the luxury, if you're a team, you know, like say the Dallas Cowboys, you've just brought Dak back, but you might want to hedge your bets, take a dart on a developmental guy. Like, sure, like this is the year to do it. Um, other teams that have established quarterbacks, Kansas City Chiefs, like, yeah. yeah, take a flyer on Jamie Newman later in the draft. Like, why not? You know, maybe you could find a way to use him. Um, maybe you develop him a little bit. You you start working with him, and who knows, down the road. But if you're a team that's got a more pressing need at the position, I think you're going to try to go get one of these guys. Or, like you said, Joe, wait for, like, cut-down days, sign a veteran, something like that, because I'm not so sure the Trasks, the Mons, the Millses, the – Newman's of the world Ian books, they're, they're nice prospects, but they're all more developmental guys. I think than guys you can look at and say, yeah, this is a future starter for sure.
0: And I think, and I keep kind of coming up with things, but like one of the reasons I'm kind of concerned about the idea of that, and honestly, the idea of even drew lock and a rookie draft pick anyway, is first of all, you're going to have drew lock who was the starter having to kind of try and be the starter with a guy coming in. Um, if that's not a highly drafted rookie, I feel like you're just going to be trying to split developmental time between two guys, and it's going to probably hurt both yeah. of them. And so that's like a concern of yeah. mine. Um, if the Broncos don't go quarterback, and I don't know how closely you've kind of looked at the rest of like the Broncos' needs, but what do you see as the Broncos' other needs? I know you've mentioned right tackle. This is a really good tackle class. I am really big on Tevin Jenkins. I could talk myself into surviving Tevin Jenkins at nine. I don't know if you like him. I love
1: Tevin Jenkins. I love Tevin Jenkins. I love his mentality. I love the way he plays the game. I love the fact that he's a finisher, one of those guys that believes that, look, finishing is non-negotiable, to quote the wise and brilliant Duke Mannyweather. You watch his game against Texas where he's just – I love Joseph Osai, but he was beating Joseph Osai up. Downfield screens, he's looking for 46. He wants to put 46 on his butt one more time. I absolutely love that about him. Is nine a bit too rich for Jenkins? maybe a little bit, but he's not going to be there when you pick again. Exactly. Um, And and so I know, I know trading down might be crazy, Well, but if Denver decides to go in a
0: different direction, that could be something they do. My concern is that if four quarterbacks go in the top, top eight, and that seems pretty likely um, it might be tough to trade down is kind of my idea. And it's kind of like yeah. if you're stuck at nine and the two tackles above them go, I'm very happy with Tevin Jenkins. If yeah. if Sewell's there, I mean, yeah, take Sewell. I, I yeah, I mean, if that. Sewell's
1: there, if if Slater, I like Slater too. too. Like any of those three guys, or even look, saw. I know he's played more left tackle, but those four tackles, I think they're viable options at nine if Denver doesn't go quarterback. Other positions, I know there's a lot of clamoring for a sort of coverage linebacker more than anything yeah. else. Obviously, look, Micah Parsons is a, is a tremendous talent. Off-ball linebacker at nine, though, I just I just don't know about I hate that. It. I hate it. I think I, I think look, if if you're Denver, you know, you could wait until forty. Jabril Cox will probably be there. I think Jabril Cox is a fantastic coverage linebacker. I think there are some other coverage linebackers with those kinds of chops later in the draft um, that you could probably address. Whether maybe a, a Chaz Sarat at seventy-one, he might still be there then. Um, so you could go different directions there. At, quarterbacks, sort of the the, the the spicy nugget. I mean, yeah. Do they go edge? I mean, I don't know. Probably not. I mean, I just don't think that this is a weird edge class anyway. It is. Like, if you're going to go edge at nine, it's probably Phillips.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're
1: talking about drafting a guy at nine with three concussions, and he's already medically retired once. And like. I just don't know about that. And is edge really something that you need to
0: spend a pick at nine on? Like, I'm just not so sure it's there. I the, mean, thing, the thing I don't like about taking an edge at nine is it basically puts a clock on top of Von Miller. Like if, yeah. you, if you take an edge at, in the second round, it's still kind of doing that. But at the same time, Malik reads an RFA, Bradley Chubb fifth year option. You don't necessarily know. So you could take a guy in the second round and if any, it gives you insurance against all of it. Whereas you yeah. take a guy at nine, you have to make a decision on what you're doing. With Von Miller in the next year. And maybe I'm just a Homer, but I really hope that Von Miller comes back and defies age and runs it out for another three years. Like I, yeah, um, hey, it's, just, it's just a weird edge class. Like I'm not this. like, I'm,
1: I'm not sure I'm even comfortable. Look with the giants Phillips at 11. Like that, that scares me too. Um,
0: well, and I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if this is legit or not. Um, I've heard from a buddy uh, Cyril Penn, I don't know if you know, Cyril, he works for 33rd team and he had heard that Jalen Phillips, uh, had had a concussion as early as 10. And again, like, you know, I don't know how legit that is. I'm not trying to, you know, throw shade on him, but again, like I've had concussions. They suck and they don't necessarily get better. Like it's one of those things like the next time you have a concussion, it's not going to be better. Like it's, yeah. so I like Jalen Phillips. It scares the heck out of me taking him top 10. Like
1: he, he's, he medical issues aside, he's the best edge in this class. But that scares me. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Ozlari, the, the Georgia kid, you know, he, he's talented, but he's, you know, outside speed moves only. Quiddy pay is nice, but Edge just doesn't seem to make sense to me at nine. Yeah. I, I really think tackle makes more sense. Me too. Um, any of those guys are available. Um, I'm just not so sure what else the value is. I mean, you've added a corner. I don't think you need to go corner at nine. Yeah. Off-ball linebacker, we talked about Parsons. Look, I've mocked Parsons to Denver at least once this draft cycle. Because I think everyone has. You could see where it would make sense. Yeah. Fangio would probably love it. Um, You know, and he is. Look, he's linebacker one in many people's minds, myself included. But I'm just not so sure that the value is there, even in today's game. He gives you the three down ability, like you don't take him off the field. Which is, if you're going to go linebacker, the top ten of the draft, off ball linebacker, you want somebody that's going to be on the field all three downs, that can cover, that can be athletic, that can get after the passer. And he can certainly do all that. But again, the the, the value—it's kind of like running back in today's NFL. Like I just don't think the value is there.
0: I really like Patrick Sertan. Um, yep. I don't necessarily, uh, he plays good enough in off, but that's not his strength. I think he's better up on the line. Yeah. Um, and that's not necessarily what Fangio does. I think he would adjust Fangio's adjusted for Prince of Mukumara. So like, I do think that they would make it work if that's what they do, especially when you think of like Ronald Darby, Bryce Callahan, neither one of them, and they, they've, they've made it through one full season between the two of them since 2015. Um, and fuller and Callahan have expiring contracts. So like I could talk myself into it. I don't think it's ideal. I think tackle makes more sense if they if they skip on a quarterback. Uh, but I, you know, ideally they trade down. Um, and God help me if they take a running back.
1: Uh, no, I, I, Harris, Etienne, like Williams, they're 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 talented players. Not at nine. You can't like it, it. if you want to draft one of those guys, like Williams, might be there at forty. Like if you want to go running back, like. You could wait. It's a, It's also a strange running back class. But as we've seen so many times before, and Denver fans have seen it too, uh, you could wait at running back, get value in the later rounds. Like you could get a back at one fifteen that will be talented enough. Ramondre and Stevenson might be able to do some stuff there. Um, Khalil Herbert, the Virginia Tech kid, he'll be there at one fifteen. Like you could find running backs later in this draft. Like.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, are Travis Etienne and Najee Harris fantastic talents? Absolutely. Are they three down running backs, similar to the three down linebacker discussion? Yeah. Am I drafting them at nine? No. Like, I, I, if I'm Tampa Bay at 32, like, yeah, sure. I'll draft a running back, like luxury pick. Even the Bills at the end of the first round, I can make sense for them. But if, when you're picking at the top, like the value doesn't make sense to me.
0: One last thing, just before I let you go, because I have to ask you about it. And I know you probably haven't done like a huge deep dive on the 2022 quarterbacks. I know you've talked about it a little bit. Um, I've watched Sam Howell mostly. I've seen a little bit of Spencer Rattler. I am pretty down on Sam Howell. I didn't watch his, his, the year before I just watched last year. Um, and most of it was when I was watching Javante Williams, I just couldn't help but notice Sam Howell. So I just started watching him because of the narrative at the time, the narrative for a lot of Broncos fans were, well, if Locke sucks, we can just go quarterback in 2022 and everyone was telling me Howell was the top guy, I don't see him as – if he's the top guy, I don't like that class.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was underwhelmed watching Howell 2020 tape, not 2019. 2019 tape he comes on, you're just like, man, this kid's going to be legit. You're like, yeah, he's future 1st round pick, like first-year-first first overall. Like, I get it. Last year, it looked like a step back. He was sort of underwhelming to me at times, watching Brown and Newsom and, like you said, Javante Williams and Carter. Um I was a bit underwhelmed but i do think that there's a potential that if he has a good year yeah he's back in that sort of first overall pick discussion i, I think you look around though this might be a very good class too i mean you yeah. look at spencer rattler you look at riddler desmond redder the the cincinnati kid that might have come out decided to go back i thought he was going to be that guy to bridge the top five to next year i thought he would have been like a round two round three pick pretty easily in this class so I'm excited to see what he does next year. Uh the Oregon kid, Tyler Slough. Um, I'm a fan of his Malik Willis. I really like Malik Willis, Desmond Crum at Kent State. Like there's a lot of quarterbacks that I'm very excited to start really diving into in three weeks now. Um, but from what I've watched, I think this could be a very good group. I think this could be a group that's gonna maybe sneak up on people because look, for years we knew Trevor Lawrence was yep. gonna be like, yeah, this this kid was gonna be legit. Um you know, so, you know, Joe Burrow sort of snuck up on us, but we knew about Herbert. We knew about Tua. Like Murray kind of snuck up on us. That class did have some sort of guys that came out of nowhere, but then before that everybody was talking about Donald and Jackson and Rosen and even Josh Allen, people were talking about him before his, his final year. And so, you know, we, we've had some good classes before. Nobody's really sort of jumping out the page right now with people, but I do think once they start getting into these guys, they're going to like what they see. And yeah, was Howell a bit underwhelming to me a little bit? Yeah. But I liked his 2019 tape, and I wouldn't be surprised if I start watching him with a bit more of a critical eye and thinking, oh, well, he's pretty good. He's better than I remember. Because when you're watching wide receivers, you know, you're know you watching the route, you're watching everything, and you see the pass not get off right, or it's yeah. underthrown, and you're like, oh, man, this QB must stink. But you're focused on the receiver. You don't notice that he's running for his life back there. And so – you know, once you start really focusing in on the quarterback, those opinions might change, but I do think this could be a good group. And, you know, if you're a Broncos fan listening to this and the team does miss out on a quarterback, and then this time next year, you're hoping that you can find a replacement for drew lock. There might be a couple of good names to choose from. Cool. Well, that'll give me hope. Cause I mean, look, I, I have said this before, Joe. Um, the draft is manufactured hope. It is oh, I know that. commercialized hope and the NFL for all its faults, for all the things it gets wrong, it is so great at self-marketing, and the draft is the best example of it, because all 32 fan bases right now have, have that hope. They, they have that belief that, like, look, man, we're going to get a quarterback at 15, we're going to get a great wide receiver at 46, we're going to get an edge rusher at 96, and the New the Patriots are going to be back. But every fan base has that belief right now because of the draft and then the schedule release and the nfl stays in the conversation year round i go on every week uh radio show in vancouver where all they want to talk about is hockey all they want to talk about now is the draft all they want to talk about is the nfl and that's vancouver i mean so the draft is manufactured hope we will always have hope for the next cycle and the cycles after that and we'll be here along for the ride i guess
0: definitely thank you so much uh guys I and again i'm I, I did a really shitty job of introducing you if you guys don't already follow mark i have no idea how you don't but if you don't he is on twitter at mark schofield it is spelled m-a-r-k-s-c-h-o-f-i-e-l-d kind of like justin fields um you can find his work at usa today you can find his work at pat's pulpit at big blue view uh i still have a lot of his stuff at itp bookmarked um again yeah. Thank you so much. Joe, this was a blast,
1: man. Um, I love chatting ball with you. Any chance we get, whether it's just over the DMs or in shows like this, um, huge fan of your work, huge fan of what you do, buddy. Keep it up, man. It been an honor to be here with you tonight.